join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, reveal your presence to us this day as we journey this path with your Son. Through all of life's trials and tribulations, your word sustains us for the journey ahead. Send your Spirit upon us that we might listen, discern, and take heart. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Hear these words from scripture. When Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave two disciples a task, saying to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, its master needs it, and he will send it back right away. They went and found a colt tied to a gate outside on the street, and they untied it. Some people standing around said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told him them just what Jesus said, and they left them alone. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes upon it, and he sat on it. Many people spread out their clothes on the road, while others spread branches cut from the fields. Those in front of him and those following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple after he looked around at everything, because it was already late in the evening, he returned to Bethany with the twelve. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now many of you know that I am from Indiana. I'm not a native Texan, but I got here as fast as I could. And so naturally, I am a Colts fan. And something that Colts fans and Texan fans all have in common is that we loathe the Patriots, right? <laughs> this is my favorite picture of Tom Brady ever. He's wandering around looking for a high five and no one will give it to him. <laughs> and uh, it's just so deeply satisfying on a spiritual level for me. Uh, I just enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> I've seen this. So I'm a fan of two teams, right? I'm a fan uh, of the Colts and I'm a fan of whoever is playing against New England. And, uh, but it's hard to deny greatness, isn't it? And Tom Brady really, as much as I hate to admit it, it just, it's, it's painful to admit it. Uh, he's at the top of his game. He's just phenomenal. Uh, this picture is disgusting. I'm sorry I had to show that to you. Uh, it's just, it angers me. But he's at the top of his game, and he is at a mountaintop experience, y'all. Um, this is it. Here we go. This is gross, but this is, you got to do it. Eight, eight Super Bowl appearances, five Super Bowl wins, four Super Bowl MVPs, 13 Pro Bowl elections, more division titles than any other quarterback in NFL history, fourth all-time in total career passing yards, tied for third in career touchdown passes. He has won more playoff games than any other quarterback in NFL history. He has never had a losing season as a starter, ever. That's gross. 
His combined postseason and regular season wins are the most of any quarterback in NFL history. He is unstoppable, untouchable, and he is out of mountaintop experience. When he walks down the streets of New England, people gather with palm branches and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, <laughs> deliver us from the Steelers, Hosanna. That's the sort of person that Tom Brady is, right? Maybe not that last part. But I can't imagine, I can't even imagine that sort of thing. The temptation to be sort of bigger than life, right? To buy into the hype, to be like, hey, you know what? I am pretty good. I am Tom Brady, right? I'm amazing. The temptation to sort of buy into what people are saying about you, right? To believe the hype. And I think, honestly, that sort of celebrity status, it does, it does crazy things to people. That sort of fame, that's sort of at the top of your game, mountaintop experience, well, it, it leads me to think about the triumphal entry. Because the temptation, I think, that Jesus faced was to buy into the hype about himself. People had been gathering. They came to Jerusalem and said, Jesus, you're great. And he could have been like, hey, yeah, you know what? Son of God here, I am pretty great after all. This is the temptation to believe the hype about what people are saying about him. So I'm struck by our passage today, and I have a lot of questions, really, about our passage. I'm struck for a number of reasons, you know, but primarily because of all the historical background that makes the situation, the trajectory of, like, the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday, which leads in to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Easter. It, the whole entire thing is just set up in a way you're like, this is going to happen. And then something else entirely different happens. The outcome seems implausible. So to, to kind of take a step back and see where we are when Jesus entered in Jerusalem, I'm recalling John chapter 1, where Nathaniel, who's one of Jesus' disciples, makes this little offhanded comment and says, um, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I recall that Jesus' hometown, his home turf was Nazareth. He's from Galilee, uh, born sort of out of wedlock couple. Uh, so maybe the son of a carpenter, not a super high uh, profile, awesome job. But can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? And uh, he's, uh, he does this whole entire thing, and he, and he comes to the synagogue one day. It's right here. I'll show you this. This is where Nazareth is. Uh, that's Israel. Uh, it's some backwater province in uh, the Roman Empire. And Jesus is at synagogue in Luke chapter 4. The person attending synagogue hands Jesus the scroll. Now, Isaiah is a big book of the Bible. There's tons of chapters. And so it's on more than one scrolls, right? So imagine the person finding the scroll, hand it to Jesus. And Jesus says, all right, I'll read the scripture. He gets it. He unrolls it, unrolls it, unrolls it. And he reads this. Hear these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls it back up. He hands it to the attendant, and he goes and sits down. And you, you may not know the rest of the story, but the crowd has some sort of reaction after Jesus reads this passage. And Jesus says, this prophecy you've heard, this scripture you've heard has been fulfilled here in your very presence. And what do they do? Hosanna, Hosanna. No, they don't. They grab stones and they try and kill him. 
said, you can't be the son of God. You're a nobody. You're a nobody. Fast forward to Mark chapter 8. This is off the map. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples a few years later. He is the farthest geographically from Jerusalem he will ever be in his entire ministry. The farthest away from his ultimate destination that he will ever be. And he gathers his trusted disciples and they say, what's the hype about? He says, who do you say that I am? And the disciples, maybe they talk amongst themselves. They say, Peter, you tell him. Right? And so Peter's elected. He's like, well, some say that you are uh, Elijah. Um, but others, others think maybe you're the Christ. Jesus says, who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. What a fascinating little turn here. Because maybe what Peter's thinking when he says you're the Christ, you're this sort of Messiah to come and liberate us, isn't what Jesus is thinking. It's not part of the plan. And then in Luke, there's this little throwaway phrase. It says, immediately afterwards all this happened, it says, and he set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus knows he has to go to Jerusalem. He has to enter into the holy city during Passover. He has to gather with his disciples. And he's going to show them what the kingdom of God is about. And it's not what they signed up for. It's not what they think. So if you stick with Mark, that Mark chapter 8 really divides the whole entire book of Mark. In the first half of the book of Mark, you have a bunch of miracles. Jesus is healing people. He's casting out demons. So it sounds very familiar, right? And you read the, the last half of the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus stops doing miracles on his way to Jerusalem. Save for two things. He heals two blind people. One of them is blind Bartimaeus. Doesn't even have a name. It means son of Timaeus. Great. He's healed, and immediately after he sees Jesus, what does he do? He follows him to Jerusalem. When you see the king, when you see the kingdom of God breaking in, you follow it wherever it leads. I wonder what the local people must have been saying when Jesus came into town. Is he a miracle worker? Was, was he Elijah sort of come back to them? Was he some sort of Davidic Messiah, right? David was this king who sort of ruled over the land with a great kind of prosperity. Maybe he can do that again. Will they come in and throw Rome out? Because if, if we're unable to locate ourselves in the story, if we're unable to locate ourselves a little bit in sort of the historical setting, we're left with this weird story of this guy who gets on a donkey, right? Rides into this ancient city, and people are like taking off their suit jackets and laying them down, and they're putting like leaves all over the ground. We just, it's a very strange story, and they're saying this thing. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Which looks like this. So we know it's uh, in the English, right? This is Hosanna right here. That word comes from a Greek word, which comes from the Hebrew word. We should remember that our Bible was not written in English, right? Nod your head, you're tracking along with me. Uh, the Apostle Paul did not read the King James Version. As much as we might love it, it's not what he read, right? The uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And there are some other parts of the Old Testament that are in Aramaic. So it's written in ancient languages. And Hosanna, the English word, comes from this Greek word, 
Hosanna. This is the Omega here. There's no H in Greek, but I won't bore you with that. And this, all they did was take a transliteration of a Hebrew word. In Hebrew, you might recall, you might know now, that you start on the right-hand side and you read to the left this way. So it's Hasa'anan. That's what it means. And it's an interesting word. The etymology is kind of strange, but it means save us. Save us. And it comes out of Psalm 118. It's in a few other areas. It's always sort of talking about a deliverer, someone who will come and save the people. That's what it means at first. Save us. The first is a cry for help. It's desperation. Save us. Save us. And the second is a proclamation. Salvation is here. Look, it's here. Salvation has come. The first is asking for help. The second is saying, it's here. It is entered. Salvation is here. The time is now. Salvation is in front of us. And I'm wondering which one the crowd is saying that day. Is it the first one? Save us, Jesus. Save us from the Romans. They occupy this place. We're God's chosen people. Save us. Or is it, save us. He's here. Salvation is here. We're going to do it. Is it that one? Or is it a combination of both? I don't know. I wasn't there. But I don't know what it could be. So rewind to Luke chapter 4, right? And hear these words again. You might hear them with new ears now. Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands before a court of folks. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And rewind to Mark chapter 8 in Caesarea Philippi. Where they say, who, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're like David. You're supposed to come in and set up God's kingdom. Deliver us. Save us. Do it now. So here we are in Jerusalem. Jesus is coming in, and, and the people know who this guy is. His reputation has preceded him, and the crowd gathers in this capital city of the state under enemy occupation. The scene is tense. It's, it's full of anticipation. The people are longing to be liberated, and the people are longing to be saved. Because liberation and salvation, they've been attempted before, most notably in the Maccabean Revolution, which happened before the Caesarean Empire was around, and then they were annexed by Rome. Annex is the real polite way of saying conquered. And that's sort of how Rome operated, right? They would just kind of move into this province, conquer, move into this province, conquer, annex, conquer, right? You get the idea. This is how Rome operated under something called Pax Romana, called the Roman peace. And how did Rome keep the peace? With the sword, violence and oppression. You don't fall in line. You don't say that Caesar is Lord. Well, that's fine. Pick up your cross and let's walk. They would literally crucify you. Those words are interesting. Pick up your cross and follow after me. Powerful words. If you rise up, we'll cut you down. The stakes are high and the scene is tense. It's full of anticipation. And the question is, on everyone who's gathered there on that Palm Sunday, that triumphal entry, what is Jesus going to do? 
Does he believe the hype? He's the Christ, but I mean, what, what, what kind of Christ? He's going to usher in the kingdom, but it's not what they expect. He's going to show them what faithfulness to God looks like, and it looks like obedience. He's going to show them what power looks like, and it looks like humility and love. The disciples have all this anticipation about ushering in their king. And you might recall a few days later, you have to ask yourself this question. They're in the garden, and Peter has something on his person. Does anyone know what he has? He, was, he has a sword, which makes perfect sense. If you're trying to usher in a kingdom against an empire, let's get this party started, Jesus. He pulls out the sword. He attacks a Roman citizen who's a professional soldier, like lops the dude's ear off. And then Jesus says, put it away. Put it away. You see, the disciples want Jesus to bring that kingdom here and now. So much so that they're willing to force his hand. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him feed thousands out of table scraps. They've seen him walk on water. They have seen him cure incurable diseases. They have seen him expel thousands of demons. They have seen him command the angel armies of the Lord Most High. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again, and do it now. Save us, Hosanna. Save us. Yes. Jesus is the Christ. He is the great liberator. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. But it's not what you expect. He doesn't enter the holy city of Jerusalem on a war horse. He enters on a lowly donkey. He tells Peter to put the sword away. He kneels naked and he washes the disciples' feet. He doesn't take life. He gives life. See, we don't need another king. We don't need another powerful throne. We don't need a powerful congress or a white house. We don't need some sort of return to Davidic messiahship. No, we need a king who will save us from ourselves. A king who will show us still a more excellent way. A king who doesn't conquer and subject, but one who liberates into a life of abundance, a life that is defined by things that the world does not understand, faith, hope, and love, a life that is defined by giving it all away, by servanthood, a life that's defined by grace and compassion and forgiveness. So yes, come Lord Jesus, Hosanna, save us. Save us from ourselves. And yes, Hosanna, salvation is here. And that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, that's it. The sermon is finished. And I want to invite you to Holy Week. Because if you go from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday you don't get the full picture of what's happening on Palm Sunday. You don't get the full picture of what's happening on Easter. You don't walk through the betrayal 
of Good Friday. You don't walk through the shedding of authority on Monday, Thursday. So I invite you to come. we got a whole week of services. Uh, Jake, can I get the next slide, please? The fire's great. Thank you. Uh, Monday, Thursday services at 7 p.m. on Thursday, and the Good Friday services at 7 here. The choir will be singing the cantata. It'll be a beautiful service. Then we have a 6.30 sunrise for Easter, along with our two services, the 8.30 and 11. I invite you to come and experience Holy Week and encounter God in that midst.